At RIV, we invite everyone to know and enjoy Jesus as we stumble together in our pursuit to love like Him. This stumbling together is how we live out the truths of the gospel in community each day. As we look to the next generation, we are trusting God to use our Riverview Church family to be a great blessing to our community in Lansing and beyond. We are committed to loving like Jesus as we dream and pray about the future. With our renewed core values, we are looking to take some significant steps over the next two years from increasing our staff with young and diverse leaders, improving our kids and student spaces, planting more churches, and developing a new missional fund for RIV communities to serve our neighborhoods, cities, and towns. These dreams happen as we join together as a church family. So we're asking you three questions. Would you join a RIV community? Where do you plan to be present missionally? And what do you plan on giving financially? Would you pray and consider being a part of this two-year commitment as we entrust our plans to God, pray for lives to be changed, and equip and empower the next generation? All right, good morning. Good to see everybody today. My name is James. I am one of the pastors here. I uh, saw a tweet Uh, just recently that said, uh, I just saw the new trailer for Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, and I now once again believe in God, (laughs) which uh, uh, made me think, I love those Mission Impossible movies. In, In July of 2023, the world is going to be introduced to the seventh Mission Impossible movie, starring, of course, uh, Tom, this is not me, that's Tom Cruise right there, uh, as Ethan Hunt. Uh, in the beginning of the trailer, I watched the trailer for this movie that's coming out next summer, uh, Ethan Hunt's nemesis says to him, your days of fighting for the so-called greater good are over. It's like, dun-dun-dun-dun. And Tom Cruise is like, hold my beer. And uh, then he like rides a motorcycle off the cliff, you know, and he risks his life, if you've ever seen these movies, over and over for the greater good, whatever that is, right? The six movies in this franchise, the Mission Impossible franchise, have grossed $3.5 billion worldwide, which is uh, about the gross national product of the entire country of Norway. Um, which is where most of this new movie was filmed in Norway. Since the original Mission Impossible movie premiered, that was back in 1996, these impossible missions, right? I feel like they should call them Mission Mostly Unlikely or something like that because they all end up happening. Uh, But they have taken Ethan Hunt to Prague, Berlin, London, Spain, Vienna, Morocco, Hungary, Italy, Russia, India, Canada, China, Malaysia, New Zealand, and Dubai... He has broken into both the CIA and the Kremlin. He infiltrated the Vatican. He climbed the Burj Khalifa. And when all else has failed, he has his go-to strategy, which of course is running really fast. Um, true story, in, according to the internet, which is right all the time, he has run over 25,000 feet on screen during his movie career, which is nearly five miles Uh, He will go to the ends of the earth. He will do whatever it takes, right, to accomplish this this mission, uh, whatever that might be. Now, we're in the second week of this Entrust series here at RIV, and that's what we're going to talk about today is this idea of mission. 
Uh, Webster says a mission is a specific task uh, with which a group or individual is charged or a purposeful movement. And I like that last definition because mission and purpose are connected together. The more significant the purpose, the more urgent the mission becomes, right? Each of these Mission Impossible movies has this moment where there's this absurd, like he shows up at this payphone and your mission, should you choose to accept it? And it's this absurd, like this is what you need to go do. And when he goes and explains it to his team, they're always like, that's impossible. You know, we can't do that. And then they decide to do it anyway because lives are at stake. They, they have an opportunity to alter the course of the world in the movie world, of course. This isn't really happening at all. Um, but that's kind of the idea of the movies. Uh, from what I can tell, the word mission uh, does not appear in the Bible even once. And I, I might be wrong about that, but I can't find it anywhere. But the mission for Christians whether it's communities of Christians or individual Christians, is described very clearly and repeatedly throughout the Bible. One of the best examples of this is found in Matthew chapter 28, in verse 16. Uh, it, this is the very, five, very last five verses of Matthew's gospel account. It says this, the 11 disciples traveled to Galilee. Now remember, Matthew is one of these guys. So Matthew could have said, me and the other 10 disciples, this is his eyewitness account of what happened. They traveled to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. Jesus had told the disciples, go to Galilee. He had just risen from the dead. I'm going to meet you there. This is the first time he's appearing in front of the disciples having risen from the dead. Uh, when they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. And Jesus came near and said this, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you and remember I am with you always to the end of of the age. Now you talk about an impossible mission, right? These statements that Jesus made here are often called the great commission. Maybe you've heard that phrase. A commission is just, you're making someone an agent for a specific mission. You're, you're commissioning them. You're, you're sending them out for a particular purpose. And essentially what happens here is this. Jesus says to 11 teenage boys, I am leaving. And once I'm gone, I want you guys to carry out the mission that I have started with you for the past three years. I want you to go to every single place in the world that you can possibly go and convince as many people as you can to be completely devoted to me. In other words, Jesus handed the strategic keys uh, for his kingdom to a bunch of high school kids and it worked, right? They did go, they did teach, they did baptize, they made disciples. And humanly speaking, we are here today in large part because of their faithfulness. 
And I would argue this wasn't just the mission for those original guys, for Matthew and, and his crew there. It's the mission for the church today, as well as for every person who claims to be a follower of Jesus, that we are here for the purpose of going out and intentionally convincing as many people as we can to follow after Jesus. Now, to be clear, Jesus does all the heavy lifting. If you look in the passage, it says he has all authority in heaven and on earth. And that's still true today. He says, I will be with you always. Don't forget, I'm always with you. And for Christians, that's still true today. The Holy Spirit lives inside of every Christian. He's with us always. It's God and God alone who saves people by his grace and his strategy he uses the faithfulness of flawed humans to make it happen which is a very risky strategy i think my question for us today is this when it comes to that mission how are we doing in his book, The Master Plan of Evangelism, uh, author Robert Coleman, he says, every church, every ministry should ask themselves this question. Do we see an ever-expanding company of dedicated people reaching the world with the gospel as a result of our ministry? Man, that's a great question. Do we see an ever-expanding company of dedicated people, of disciples, reaching the world with the gospel, making other disciples as a result of our ministry. And I would argue that every individual Christian ought to be asking themselves similar questions. What is my mission really? Like if the people around me, what am I devoted to? What's my intentional purpose? What would people say is sort of the point of my life? Am I living a mission defined by God's word or is it something different that's taking priority? How does my life contribute to the great commission? What part am I playing in helping convince others to devote their lives to Jesus? Now there's one thing for sure is true here. We will not accidentally stumble into living out this mission. There's no way that's gonna happen. We're not gonna wake up one day and go, oh my gosh, it's working. We didn't even do anything. It's just, it's just automatic. That's not the way it works. The Bible is just filled with these imperatives. You have to go. Mission requires intention. Jesus said to these guys, go do this. And they're like, we're in. And they told the world about Jesus. So how about us? Why not us? How can we best do this? That's the question we're going to look at today. Our roadmap here is going to be in uh, the book of Colossians, uh, chapter four, verses two through six, five little verses here in Paul's letter to the church in Colossae. It's packed with Paul's advice on how to live, the kind of the how of mission. If the what of the mission is convincing as many people as we can to become devoted followers of Jesus, how do we go about doing that? Uh, chapter four, verse two, uh, we'll start there um, and, and uh, we'll throw the verses up on the screen for you if you wanna follow along that way as well. 
He says, devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for God, for us, that God may open a door to us for uh, the word, right? Our mission to tell others about Jesus begins with prayer. So I made the decision uh, to follow Jesus. Uh, It was during the summer between my junior year and senior year of high school, years and years ago. And afterward, so I had gone to this camp uh, with a bunch of kids from my high school and some kids from neighboring high schools. There's a big group of us there, all in a couple buses together. And, and so they had this kind of, maybe you've been at a camp, we, we, we kind of did this public proclamation, hey, I've decided to follow Jesus. And afterwards, I'll never forget this. You know, it's kind of an emotional thing in the room and everything. And one after the other, these kids from my school and some kids from the other schools came up to me. And they're just, you know, they were so excited. And they said, I have been praying for you. And I was like, whoa. I had like literally had never occurred to me that anybody would be praying for me. And it was these, my, my peers, they were like, we have been praying for you for so long. It makes sense that prayer is going to be involved whenever anyone comes to faith in Jesus because every salvation is a work of God's grace. And I would bet those of you who are followers of Jesus who are here today, if you were to trace back kind of everything that was involved with that, there was somebody or some group of people, your neighbor, your friends, your grandmother, your parents, your siblings, whoever it is, that prayed faithfully for you. Paul even asks for prayer for the opportunity to talk with people about Jesus. He's like, God, open a door for us for the word. Just give us a chance to tell people. Even the opportunity is a grace that God gives us. And maybe you've had the privilege of being a part of someone's faith story or maybe more than one person that you've never even met that person, but you've participated by praying. Now notice the posture that Paul uh, describes that we are to have toward prayer. He says, devoted alert and thankful, right? A devoted person is fully committed. It's a big priority. And then there's gratitude. Uh, Just thankful, Lord, for the opportunity even to be praying for this person, even to know them, even to have the the privilege of, of telling them about you. And then I love that word alert. The word there in the Greek is Gregorio, which can mean wake up or stay awake, right? It's this idea of, uh, of okay, uh, in, in my, my prayers and just in my daily life, I just want to have a real keen eye uh, and awareness and alertness and awakeness to who's around me and how they're doing and, and, and just allow me to be that kind of listener and to perceive so that I can get into conversations with people about Jesus. I think based on what Paul says here, maybe a a great example of a prayer, even just from the beginning of each day would be, you know, okay, Lord, just thank you for the people you're going to put in our path today and keep us alert to their needs and open a door to us for the word that we would be able to speak 
the mystery of Christ. That's the next thing he says here. Uh, It includes speaking, telling people the gospel. He says, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the word to speak the mystery of Christ. Now, don't don't be confused like that. The mystery of Christ is no longer a mystery. It's it's the gospel. It's the truth of Jesus's life, death, burial, resurrection from the dead on our behalf. That's what he's talking about there. Uh, We would love opportunities to be able to say to people, this is what happened. This is who Jesus is, for which I am in chains, Paul says, so that I may make it known as I should. I love Paul, by the way. He's in prison as he's writing this letter. And so he's like, I love this because these guards, they have to be here with me all day. And so I get to tell them about Jesus. They don't have any choice. Like a cap, it's like being on a plane with like a six hour flight with somebody for like several months. That's what Jesus <laughs> or Paul's like. I get to these guards, they don't have any choice. They're going to hear about Jesus. Now, some of you are thinking, okay, James, you're not going to stand up there and ask us to start talking with other people about Jesus, right? Please do not do that. Actually, that's precisely what I'm going to do. Um, Because that's what Paul says here. There's a speaking component. Uh, I want to be able to make it known by speaking the mystery of Christ to people. Uh, uh, Jesus talked about this explicitly. This is a a passage that Pastor Noel referenced last week in Acts chapter 1. In in verse 8, Jesus uh, says to his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so this is kind of a reiteration of that Matthew passage as the same themes that say, go to the whole world, right? Uh, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Um, I have all, you're going to have power from me, Jesus says. You will receive power. The Holy Spirit, I'm going to be present with you all the time. Uh, It's the same idea. And then he adds this word, witnesses. You will be my witnesses. Have you ever seen one of those courtroom movies or TV shows where the case hinges on an eyewitness who saw everything but refuses to testify? Ever seen one of those? A good witness is willing and able to provide a a verbal testimony about what they know and what they've seen. And when we think about how good God is, the grace that he has shown us, we ought to be eager to share about Jesus with others. It's interesting. Generally, if you think about that courtroom metaphor, uh, witnesses tend to refuse to testify because of two reasons. One is fear, and then the other is inconvenience, right? They're, they're afraid of repercussions. Like in some cases, it's like, uh, I refuse to testify on the grounds that may incriminate me, or I need to be in the witness protection program. I'm so afraid of harm. You know, and there's, there's fear involved, or they're nervous or uncomfortable, or sometimes they just have bigger priorities. There's things they care about more, and they don't want to make the time to go all the way down to the courtroom. I don't really want to do this. And I think we face those same issues when it comes to being witnesses for Christ, right? We have fears. It can be inconvenient. Maybe we 
feel ill-equipped or ill-prepared. We don't know what to say, which is why it's so important to remember the purpose behind the mission. Lives are at stake. Eternity hangs in the balance. We talked about in that song, one day, right? There will come a day. There will be a reckoning for the dead. A person who hears the gospel proclaimed and believes in Jesus becomes part of the family of God for eternity, forever. There is literally nothing of more significance that can happen in the life of any individual human being than to trust Jesus and secure their eternal future in heaven with God. And again, we can never take credit for saving anyone. But at the same time, I have never met anyone who got saved. And I'm sure there are people with a different story. I've never met anyone who got saved without someone telling them about Jesus. So being witnesses is part of the how. We accomplish the mission. But it's not the only part. Look at what uh, he says next here in, in the, uh, verse 5. He says, act wisely toward outsiders. Now, an outsider in this context is just a person who hasn't yet decided to follow Jesus. Act wisely towards that group of people, making the most of the time. In other words, be shrewd, be uh, judicious with how you use the time you have with people who don't know Jesus. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt so that you may know how you should answer each person. And so we'll talk about that here in a moment. But in that second part, he's emphasizing, uh, develop the skill of having conversations with people about faith matters. Throw in a little spice into the conversation, right? Be gracious. Figure out what kind of questions people are gonna ask you and so that you know how to answer. We'll, we'll talk about that here more in a moment. But I wanna focus on, on this idea of, of how we act matters. We must act wisely is what Paul says. We use good judgment. We're thoughtful. We're concerned. We're gracious. In, in Philippians 4, 5, Paul says, let your reasonableness be known to all. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, when our words don't match our actions, when we say we're followers of Jesus, but we don't love people, we become like noisy gongs or clanging cymbals. Maybe you have met a person like that uh, that is maybe just all up in this section, right? They say a lot of things about Jesus and they're loud about it, but their life doesn't line up and it's this sort of just like this cacophony of sounds. Or maybe some of you are here today because that's the only kind of Jesus message you've ever heard is this sort of like, you know, kind of invasive not the, 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 the actions aren't consistent with the words kind of a message, right? In the courtroom, that kind of testimonial, like a person who's, who's, what they say is unimpeachable, what do they try to do? They try to impeach the character of that witness, right? To discredit what they're saying by discrediting who they are. 
And so the way we live matters. I love how Paul describes it here in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's powerful. So an ambassador is a commissioned agent, right? Sent to represent their own country in a foreign land, right? And so as followers of Jesus, that's exactly what's happening with us, right? We are not citizens of this world. We're citizens of heaven. That's, that's where we are residents. We are aliens, strangers, sojourners. That's what the Bible says about us here on this earth, commissioned by God to represent him in this world. God is making his appeal to the world through us. So over the past few months leading up to this Entrust series, you know, there's three things we're talking about in this Entrust series, uh, uh, living in community, living on mission, and then generosity. And so I have gotten the privilege of sitting down with uh, 25 to 30 Riverview families uh, to talk through just kind of their involvement with Riverview and kind of these three um, kind of touch points. And, and my favorite part of those times together have been the conversations about mission. I have sat across from lawyers and business owners and tech experts and homemakers and a bunch of people who work in the medical profession and a bunch of people who work in the world of education. I mean, our, the Riverview folks, we're all over the place here uh, in mid-Michigan, and it has been so encouraging to hear folks share about how they are living as ambassadors for Christ, how they are intentional and purposeful about representing Christ inside of their unique circle of influence. This one family was telling me, our mission is our kitchen. Uh, because they have three teenage kids, which means their house is this revolving door with all of their kids' friends in and out of their kitchen, eating their food and ruining their house and, their, and par you know, just parking in their yard, all this stuff. And it's just this, this just craziness and, and then they were, they, they were explaining, so, so they said, so this is what we do. They said, we're very intentional about being an example in front of these kids of a strong marriage. We pray for these friends of our kids by name. We, we strike up conversations with them. We ask them about their home, their family, their lives. We show an interest. We make sure that our home feels safe and secure and loving. We, we have kids that have been in our house that are friends of our kids who have never sat down for a meal once with their family ever. And so we circle up and we share meals together. And I was just like, that is it. You guys are doing it. And it's inside of the, this is what they'd be doing anyway, right? These kids would be, but they're like, we just view it through a totally different lens. This is our purpose for being here is to represent Jesus for these kids. Another guy was telling me he just retired 
And uh, so in his retirement, he decided he was gonna go volunteer at this um, uh, detention facility for um, juveniles here in the Lansing area. Uh, he's a teacher there. So these kids are incarcerated, they're underage, and he's, he, he volunteers as a teacher. This is all you were thinking. This is exactly what I wanna do in my retirement. Um, but this is what he's doing. And he started telling me about, he loves these kids and they love him. And he prays from, and it's hard because these kids are there for some really hard reasons and hard situations. And he was telling me that there are some kids who have been released and then they have intentionally done something when they get released so they get to come back because it's the only place they feel safe and secure. And they're incarcerated, but their situation and his heart, he was just explaining and he said, pray for these kids and he volunteered. And I was just like, that's it. That's how I want to spend my retirement is loving people on the margins. That's what an ambassador does. Now there's one more circle I want to add in addition to being ambassadors. We represent Christ to outsiders, witnesses. We testify about Christ to everyone. We're servants. We share the gospel with people by serving sacrificially by meeting the needs of people around us. John chapter 13 in verse 12, it says, when Jesus had washed their feet. Now, now most of you are familiar with maybe this, what happened here. Jesus, it says earlier in the, the chapter, uh, Jesus knew that the father had given everything into his hands. So he had all the power literally of the universe in his fingertips. He was God in the flesh, he could do whatever he wanted. And he takes this towel and he stoops down and he begins washing feet. And when he had washed their feet and put on his outer clothing, he reclined again and he said to them, do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're speaking rightly since that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. And then in verse 35, he says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus could have done anything with the power at his disposal and he chose to serve, to sacrifice, to submit, and eventually to die on our behalf. And then he said to his disciples, now go be like me. That's how to do it. And so part of how we communicate the gospel to others, how we show others that we're followers of Jesus is we wash each other's feet. We're hospitable. We're generous. Our community is known for being close-knit and unified. We, we listen to one another. We celebrate together. We grieve together. We're ambassadors toward outsiders. And we serve inside of our family of faith. Jesus says, by this, everyone will know that you are my devoted followers if you love each other in this way. So four questions to consider 
as we wrap up our time together today, the first one is, who are you praying for that they would hear the gospel and come to faith in Jesus Christ? Now, most of us have some people that come to mind or somebody in our family or one of our neighbors or a close friend. We know people that seem far from God that we wanna pray for. Maybe you can ask others to join you in prayer. Would you please pray for my son, for my father, for my close friend, for my whatever it might be? One of the convictions I've had over the past month or so is for a long time, I had a a pretty consistent practice. I would keep a journal of of prayer, things I was being praying for. I have a stack of them on the shelf. I've been reading through, back through, and it was just bringing back all, and I was, I would, I had names of people that I encountered. And sometimes it would just be like guy with red hair at the thing or, you know what I mean? And sometimes I would know that I would just keep track and God, give me opportunity, give me, and so many, as I look back 15, 20, 25 years, I can see how God has changed the lives of so many of those people. Newborn children that I prayed for when they were born who are now faithful followers. It's really cool. And I wanna re-engage in that practice. It's something I've been working on here the last few weeks. Because as we pray for people, our concern for them just naturally grows. God gives us a bigger heart. We go, I've been praying for, how is it going? You asked me about praying for this Tell me how, you know, you know, what's been happening there. Second question, when was the last time you shared the gospel verbally with someone who didn't know Jesus? And, and what are the things that maybe prevent you from doing that? What, what's the inertia? We all have hesitations about that, right? It, it could be fear or it could be, I just don't know what to say or it's just so uncomfortable, or it could be some issue that we have that we're just so focused on ourselves. I just, I'm, uh, you know, I have sometimes, uh, my, witness, my opportunity to witness is overshadowed, but I'm just so angry with this person, <laughs> right? And so it's probably not a good time for me to talk with them about Jesus, uh, you know? Or we have other things that I was watching yesterday, I was watching the Georgia football game at the beginning. There were 92,000 people in this stadium. And they were all dressed in red. And the team came running out on the field. And there was the smoke and the music. And all the people that were showing the crowd, they had their arms up in the air. And they were chanting and singing and waving these flags. And yeah, We have the capacity to, be, uh, to testify about things passionately. Sometimes they're not Jesus things. But people make their case for lots of things in my world all the time. May we be that passionate, that committed to Jesus. And I think we can equip better in this area as well as a church family. Because Paul says, um, I want to be able to know how, I want to be able to say the the right things. Um, And so um, that's something I I want us to be working on as well. Because sometimes it's just increasing Bible knowledge. It's practicing. It's, 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 it's things like that that can, that, that can help there as well. Question three, how effective are you as a ambassador or a representative for Christ? What are the areas where you need to grow? How's your character? Are you part of a community of believers that can help you with some of that? And then lastly, are you a foot washer? Do you follow the example of Jesus? Jesus was explicit. I showed you this so that you could do 
the same. Now, I've shared this story before, but it bears repeating. Humanly speaking, I ended up following Jesus because a guy named Brad decided to take Jesus's command to go seriously. When I was entering middle school, I lived in Cincinnati at the time, Brad was packing up everything that he owned in his car and he was moving from Baltimore to Cincinnati. He moved into this apartment that was above a garage in a house across the street from my high school. And the purpose of that move was so that he could share about Jesus with the kids at my high school. <laughs> that's why he, he like moved his entire, yeah, you guys are like, really? Yeah, that's what he did. He would walk across the street onto the campus of my high school three or four days a week and just build relationships with kids. And from that, he launched a little small group and a Bible study from that. And then, and then, and then, and then, and his decision to go was the first in a series of things that God used to eventually open the door for me to hear the gospel spoken clearly and to respond in faith. I, I, there's no, I just texted him today talking about you again this morning, Brad. I'll never be able to thank you enough for going. Changed my life. All God, and Brad is not a perfect person, believe me, He'll, he would say the same thing. But man, he was fiercely determined to tell kids about Jesus. And it didn't stop when I became a convert, right? They invited me into this community of other high school kids. They showed me the importance. I remember the first small group thing I went to after I came back from camp, at the end, they was like, okay, who are we praying for in, in your high school that, that needs to hear about Jesus? I was like, oh, only everybody. I was like, my friends don't care about this at all, you know? And I was like, maybe, maybe God could do something in their lives as well. They taught me how to share my story. And by the way, I've had several people after the first service ask me, where do I get started? Learn how to tell people what God has done in your life. Because that's kind of like, you know, your eyewitness testimony. It's hard for somebody to dispute that, right? This is how God has changed me. And, and I, I, about six months after I became a Christian, I was sitting at a table, a round, round table with 10 adults and sharing with them about what God had done in my life. And they, this community taught me how to do that. They gave me opportunities to practice. They encouraged me in the areas where I was uh, strong in my character, where I was growing. And then they challenged me. They confronted me about the areas. They're like, James, that is not the way a Christian lives at all. Here's what the Bible says. Here's how we can help you grow. They showed me how to serve and how people can really love one another, how to handle conflict, all of it. And by the time I had gotten through that one year of my senior in high school, the trajectory of discipleship that was in my life, there was an imprint that had been established. That's the mission of the church. Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples, sacrificial followers, committed, devoted believers in Jesus. Our mission, whether we choose to accept it or not as Christians, is to make disciples. So how are we doing? Are we living out the Great Commission? Do we see 
an ever-expanding company of dedicated people reaching the world with the gospel as a result of our ministry? I think we do. And I think we can do more. I'll let uh, Peter have the last word. This is 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. It says, In your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and reverence, keeping a clear conscience, so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. Let's pray. Lord, I uh, am so grateful just thinking about all the people that are here in this room who know you, that somebody took seriously the mission, the, the charge to go, to be intentional, to be purposeful, to say, Jesus Christ died for your sins, rose from the dead on your behalf so you could be together with God for eternity. We're so grateful for folks that have done that and keep doing that. And may our community be defined by a readiness at any time to tell others about the hope that we have inside of us. In Jesus' name, amen.